Hey everyone, this is Father Conrad, and this is a special episode of the podcast. I'm a little out of turn, but we had this amazing dialogue with our brothers and sisters in the Muslim Student Association on campus um, between us and, and their chaplain, and, and it was really, really beautiful. And they asked, uh, a couple of students asked to, to have it recorded, and we're going to uh, play for you uh, on this episode. Uh, the recording of that dialogue. So it was a really beautiful opportunity. It was a really uh, beautiful time to learn about each other's faiths. And um, it led to a lot of uh, great new friendships. So I wanted to post this here for you all. And uh, yeah, enjoy. Hello, friends, and welcome to Wednesday Night Dinner. start. Um, I want to welcome all of you here. Uh, welcome especially uh, those of you who are here for the first time. Uh, my name is Father Conrad. I'm the chaplain here. And uh, I am really, really blessed. Uh, I mean, we are really blessed at the Catholic Student Center to have this wonderful opportunity to, uh, to make friends and to, to dialogue and talk about our faith. And, uh, Tarif and I, Tarif is the Catholic, says the, is the Muslim uh, chaplain. And Tarif, and I, I talked about this a couple months ago, and just really had a desire in both of our hearts to, to, to make sure that we, as, a, as communities, get to know each other. And so we said we wanted to talk about something that was uh, deeper, not just superficial, not just like, you know, playing ping pong together, but talking about something a little bit deeper. Um, Tarif and I will do that when you're in small groups. Uh, um, but talk about something a little bit deeper. And, and one of the things that we share uh, as a community is, is prayer. And so, um, we're going to uh, have a little discussion about prayer. There'll be an opportunity for question and answers. And then we're going to break into small groups, which will be part Muslim and part uh, Catholic. And we'll discuss uh, amongst ourselves. And then there's uh, snacks at the end. So um, you're so welcome. And this is going to be such a, we're, we've been looking forward to this for a long time. And I, I'm really blessed and grateful. Um, we're going to start with the Catholic prayer. And then we'll finish uh, at the end of the panel with Muslim prayer. And, um, and then we'll, uh, we'll each kind of go on the panel and uh, talk a little bit about our experience with prayer and our different traditions with prayer. So um, we'll start with us. So uh, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we call down your blessing upon us. We ask you to grace us with your blessings, to fill our hearts with the desire to know you and to love you, and to serve you in all things. We ask you to bless those who are here presenting, bless their speech, bless their, their hearts, Enable them to know you and to seek you. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Uh, so, I think we kind of talked about this, but do you, you, want, to, you want to go first and then I'll go and then we'll uh, pass off to him. I just want to go first to get this off of my face. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, so, first greetings in peace. Uh, can you hear me well? Yeah. Uh, what an incredible uh, opportunity to be here with all of you. Uh, this is like coming back home for me. Uh, I was just talking to Father Conrad about the experience I recall very well, although I forgot the year, as Anne would correct me. <laughs> because I lost track of time. See, 20 years after graduation, like 10 years is the same as five. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but really, I'll never forget the spirit we felt when we came here as a community when you guys hosted us a few years ago. So I've, been, I've had this longing to come back. But being the lazy one that I am, and being the, the initiator, <laughs> I'm just so grateful, Father Conrad. And, and Father Conrad, and I really mean it from the heart. Um, you touched me deeply, and you've already been 
demonstrated that you've been walking the walk of faith. And, and it's just a beautiful thing to be in your presence. When we had the coffee together, we conversed, um, but also when you visited us at the opening of our space, that was a beautiful gesture, just as it is today. And your presence, honestly, is, an, is amazing. And you hosting us is an amazing act and gesture of care that we don't take lightly. So thank you so much from the heart, and God bless you. Um, you know, so we, we wanted to discuss prayer, because again, it's at the heart of our faith traditions, but also like in the context of Islam. And Islam has been, for years, has been kind of uh, uh, obscured behind the veil, right? Veil of uh, mystery, veil of strangeness, but also like a veil of uh, ridiculous myths, right? That have been propagated in the media, Muslim bashing is mainstream, right? And, you know, at the end of the day, it, it, it distorts how we see each other, right? And that's a fact of life. Like, and, and one of the beautiful things about conversations like this is that it allows us to get, get beyond the memes, the labels. So imagine, you know, I'm looking at you and I reduce your entire story and narrative into just a mere label, label right? You're this. Whoa, right? Dismissing your humanity, your heart, your soul, your journey that can enrich me as a soul. So, you know, um, hopefully this is an attempt to just remove some of that obscurity um, and uh, get us going in a conversation that hopefully will not be the last. Um, so, Islam in a nutshell, even the word itself, in summary, means to su surrender and submit uh, to God Almighty. And so, we as Muslims believe in God Almighty, the, the source of all creation. We say, inna lillah wa inna in the Arabic language, which is a cornerstone stone of our belief, uh, which means from Him we come, to Him we return, and we belong to Him. So, we as Muslims believe in God Almighty. It's, you know, Islam is an Abrahamic faith tradition um, that sees us as, you know, just as in the Christian tradition, uh, the Jewish tradition as, as servants of God and our journey is one where we need to surrender our will to Him through that rigorous exercise of will, right? Uh, having, facing all these temptations in life and distractions and all the things that can make us deviate and the question is, and the journey is how to find our way back and remember, recall. So as far as beliefs in Islam, there are actually five tenets upon which Islam is, is, is based, the beliefs in the heart, and the central one is believing in the oneness of God Almighty, the perfect source of existence, the one without parallels, equals, rivals, the one deserving of worship, uh, the one who is responsible for all, all the creation, who is not a distant God, who is a close God, who is infinitely merciful, that His mercy is beyond our comprehension, who cannot be perceived by vision, but by the heart, whose signs are, are rampant all around us, um, the one who sustains us, you know, um, at every level, and sustains everything that he created, you know, he's the reason why you know, a hair stands, and he's behind the heartbeat, and exactly like, you know, understood and practiced in the, in the Christian tradition. Um, and we believe that, you know, he created us again to, to worship him, to submit to him. So, this is the belief, the central belief. But accompanying that is the acts. The prayer is an act. So Islam is also based on five actions. So there are five tenets of belief. 
we'll get to them you know, if we have time later, but also five acts, five pillars of the religion that substantiate the faith. Because in the Islamic uh, philosophy and, under, you know, and, and, and perspective, faith itself and subscribing to the truth, the spiritual truths that, that, that are behind all of our existence, and the fact that there is another life, for example, or that there is a God, because oftentimes people believe, you know, say like, show me God, right? You know, and life is quite materialistic. So how do we uh, strengthen that connection to the unseen, that it doesn't become something that fades away and is lost, right? So this is where the acts become important. And prayer is the one of the most important acts in Islam. So in a nutshell, there are two, two forms of prayer in Islam. One can supplicate to God anytime, at, you know, as they wish. Night and day, whether standing or reclining, they just talk to God because there's no intermediary between us and God. So we speak to God and there's that awareness that as we supplicate to Him, asking for His mercy and, and recognizing His presence, it strengthens that relationship because we all yearn for that voice that speaks to us, but also yearn, yearn for that transcendent connection, right? We all we have a point for love and affection. And the only one who sustains us and provides that steady anchor is God. So we uh, strengthen that connection again and that awareness of Him through supplicating to Him anytime. So that's a form of prayer. But so that it's not left to us, otherwise a human being can easily get distracted and we might not even supplicate. Islam mandate requires each Muslim, female or male, uh, as soon as they hit puberty, to actually pray five times a day. This is the required uh, prayer that, you know, for those of you who've seen us pray, that's, that's the fourth prayer of the day. So there's five of them, and they are determined the five times by the perceived movement of the sun. So there's a dawn prayer, midday prayer, late afternoon prayer, sunset prayer, which we just prayed, and there's the late evening prayer. And interestingly enough, in Islam, the five prayers which are determined, they're timed by the, by the movement of the sun, so that it reminds us each day, with the prayers in it, of our lives. The journey of life is represented by the day and the prayers. So dawn, in this sense, and that's what, you know, the first thing we do in the morning, before the sun rises, is that we get up, we do the ritual ablution which precedes the prayer, that's also a requirement to enter into a state of purity, to prepare for the meeting, the official meeting with God. So we started with a prayer, but the dawn is a representation of one's coming into life. So the, the sun, here it is, it's rising, right? So it's the beginning of life. Midday is the end of youth, so to speak. So you, you know, you've gone through the, the, the early part of the day, that's your youth, and it's ending by midday. Now the sun is gonna start declining after reaching its zenith. So that's like aging. That by late afternoon, the third prayer, hopefully you recognize just as, just as this day is you know, the sun is moving, it's going to decline soon, my, I'm aging as well. And I'm going to walk towards my destination, which is God. From Him we come, to Him we return. So that third prayer becomes a representation of all age. And by the time that the sun sets completely, which is a representation of our existence and life, it's a representation of the departure of the soul from this world, death. And um, uh, night... Night prayer is, is symbolizes in a way the, the journey into the next world. 
And then by the time that the next day comes, the prayer comes again, we rise representing resurrection to begin a new cycle. So that's as far as the times. As far as what we do in the prayer, uh, which as, as, as you know, hopefully you've seen, you've seen us perform, uh, the prayer in Islam is, it consists of a number of movements, physical movements that are combined by movements of the heart and invocations by the tongue. It's preceded by the ritual ablution, so we literally go, you know, into a washing station uh, or you know, using this, you know, the, the faucet, anywhere where you can get access to water. And if you haven't had access to water, you can actually use dust or the wall. It doesn't matter, it's symbolic. We wash our hands, face, arms, and feet to prepare ourselves spiritually and purify ourselves to enter into that meeting. And it's preceded also by a call to the prayer, what's called adat, the, the call. And this is something that you would hear um, on, on minarets in, in the Muslim world. And you know, this is pretty much in every continent because there's uh, probably fifth of the world population is Muslim. And it stands every continent. No matter where you go, you're going to hear in minarets, in mosques, the sound of the call to prayer that, that says essentially stop what you're doing and come and pray. So you see people literally closing their shops to go and pray. Uh, where possible, like, you know, of course, God is merciful and doesn't you know, burden us beyond our capacity, but the idea is, let go, and go now to get reminded, right? So, we, we, we go to the place of prayer, and we can pray anywhere, right? Um, anywhere that is not, you know, that is pure, that is not dirty, uh, could be the mosque, could be the house, could be your place of work, it doesn't matter, it could be the street, you'll see sometimes Muslims pray on the street, right? So, either in congregation with others, and we stand shoulder to shoulder, or by ourselves. And the preference is to be in congregation, but we begin the prayer by positioning ourselves uh, towards Mecca, because it is the place where the first house of God, what's called the Kaaba, the black cubicle structure that you, I'm sure you've seen on television. It, this is, we believe as Muslims, is the first house of God on earth, built, built by Adam, Prophet Adam, and um, renovated later, rebuilt by Prophet Abraham, um, the father of all of our faith traditions. And we all position ourselves physically towards that. So we use a compass. And it, you know, we're already, you know, there are apps that show you exactly where to stand. And it unifies us no matter where we are on earth. Right? Uh, positioning our, our, ourselves physically and spiritually towards the same destination, but not that we worship the destination, worship God, but it unifies us. And it, it provides for a common place to, to, to kind of orient ourselves. And we begin the, you know, the prayer with a stance. And it's a stance is a representation of, of uh, servitude, of, of, of respect, of gratitude. And we look down, again, out of respect for God Almighty. And we begin by raising our hands and saying, Allahu Akbar. The slogan you hear, the invocation you hear, it's not a shout to begin war, by the way. <laughs> but it's a slogan that says, God is greater. Greater means greater than anything. Greater than my work, my studies, my concerns, my anxieties, my fears. Greater than my sins, my crimes. God is much bigger. Come and answer the call. So we begin with this, and then we place our, our hands, fold them, or we can keep them on the side. But it's also a stance of reverence. And we begin um, the first unit of the prayer with recitation of, of passages from the Quran. Uh, and Quran is, is in the Arabic language, the original language uh, with which it was revealed. And you know, we, we you know, 
we saw passages that essentially praise God Almighty, ask for his guidance, etc. And then, you know, close to the end, uh, you know, we go into the position of bow. We also, again, signal the change from the movements by saying Allahu Akbar in case the mind forgot. Right? Say Allahu Akbar again. God is greater, then we bow. And the bowing, we, we're, when we bow, we glorify God as well. And it, you know, the bow itself is a representation, again, of humility, of submission, and a reminder that we're the servants, and He's God Almighty, the one deserving of worship. We arise from this, and then we go into the summit of the prayer. Ironically or interestingly, the summit of the prayer physically is the lowest point, which is the prostration. When we put our heads, foreheads, intellect, we submit them by putting them on the ground. So essentially, it's like a reminder that your ego has to be let go of, right? And your intellect, through which we learn about God, we witness God, right? Uh, we put our, our heads down, we glorify God, saying, glory to God, the highest of the high, glory to God, the highest of the high. We repeat this cycle, depending on the prayer, some of them are two units, some three, some four. And then we conclude the prayer by rising from that position and sitting down as if we're sitting in the presence of God, and we praise Him and talk to Him and ask, supplicate to Him. And then conclude the prayer with the greetings of peace to the right and to the left, reminding ourselves just as we exit with peace and enter with peace, we exit with peace, so to speak. And hopefully that prayer would have uh, awakened the soul, awakened the heart, reminded us again of where we came from and where we're headed. And hopefully it would have strengthened that awareness and preserved that truth that it's not lost on us in the midst of the distractions of life. Um, so I'll end here. Uh, if you have any questions later, and by the way, for the questions, questions, don't be shy. I really mean it. We'll never learn about each other for shy. So don't worry. Um, so I'll, I'll stop here. Thank you so much for your attentive listening. Thank you. Um, so I'll now, uh, um, I, 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 as I was listening to Tarif speak, I was like, oh, he stole a lot of my lines. So um, uh, uh, we have a lot in common, but uh, I guess I'll, I'll give a little background, too, of our faith tradition and then how we pray. And it's, it's similar. It's divided into, you know, you might say, two broad sections. Uh, um, so, so first, uh, uh, we could say so much about, about God and his almighty power and his, his ineffable goodness. And his, I love the line that you said that um, we don't perceive with the, with the eyes, we perceive with the heart. And that's so much the focus of our truth. In our tradition, uh, we have to. I, I guess I'll, I'll use uh, the terms of a, of a relationship to help us understand our, our faith, and that relationship is one that we as human beings broke. That we we turned away from God, God who made us, who who, who cares for us, who, who gave us so many things. We turn away from both historically with Adam and Eve, and 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 um, and here and now in our sinfulness. And like any relationship that is good, the, God isn't satisfied with just letting us walk away. God isn't satisfied with us just uh, uh, being miserable in our, in our sinfulness, and our loneliness. And so he pursues us. And he pursues us uh, not just uh, through sending his word through the prophets, and not just through, through, uh, through his work in, 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 in providence and guiding all things by his will, but we believe that he pursued us by coming among us. Uh, that if you're going to speak to someone uh, and you want to tell them the truth that they're loved, you need to speak to them in a language that they understand. Uh, and if I were speaking to you guys, 
uh, in German tonight. You know, you obviously wouldn't, most of you, you know, maybe some of you would be as fortunate uh, to, to understand, but, uh, um, but, uh, but, you know, uh, maybe you, didn't, you wouldn't understand what I was trying to say. And so God himself knows that. He knows that we are weak, that we're dust, as the psalm says. Um, and so he needs to speak to us in a way that we can understand. And so we believe that he became incarnate. God became one of us in Jesus Christ. And that Jesus is truly uh, the, the incarnate word of God, the son of God, uh, co-eternal with God for all time. And he came among us to show us that we're loved. And the language of human, human love is, of course, not just words, not just poetry, not just music, uh, not just, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, swiping right in a dating app. Uh, the, language, the language of true language of human love is sacrifice. It's offering your whole self, body, soul, uh, your whole heart uh, to another. And so Christ, in order to show us and to reestablish that relationship of love with God that we meant to have from the beginning, uh, died for our sake uh, on the cross. Which is why every Catholic church um, has a, a crucifix there in the church. We have one here in this room, too. It's not there to be just a, a, a bloody reminder of, of, of the punishment for sin, no. It's meant there to be uh, a reminder of this is how much you are loved. This is how deeply I love you. This is how much I want to pursue you, is that I want to bring you back in a relationship that I'm willing to die for your sake. And then, of course, we believe that Jesus' uh, death could not conquer God, obviously. Uh, so Jesus rose again from the dead, re uh, ascended into heaven, and established his church here on earth as the continuation of his, of his mission. And so from that standpoint of a relationship, our prayer is relational. It's, it's primarily relational. And we have two aspects. We have that private aspect, like a three-set of, of kind of supplication, of, of entering into a personal, intimate relationship with God. And if you could think of a relationship that you might have with a friend or, or someone you're dating or something like that, that relationship really does change you. My best friend is in me in a real way, in my heart and in my mind, in my mannerisms and the things that I do. And the more we've grown in friendship, the more we've become one, in, in, in a, in, not in a weird way, but in a, in a, in a, in a beautiful way, right? Uh, the language of the poets describes that. It, it's even more the case with a, a man and a wife, right? That the more they enter into that relationship of love, they, they, their hearts are changed and they're uh, transformed. And that's an analogy for what we believe in is that personal private prayer where your soul, you speak directly to God in your heart, where you speak to God in your mind, and you truly allow him to dwell in you, just as a, a beloved dwells in the heart of a lover. And that changes us and transforms us. And we have all the writings of the great mystics of the church which describe that process of our hearts being changed and us entering into a certain amount of dryness and suffering in order for, to teach us to love even more and to love like Jesus loved us and then to finally transform us and bring us back. But again, like, like uh, Tariq was describing about Muslim prayer, there's this aspect that we're human beings and we need physical, tangible reminders in order to bring all that back. And so we have within our church, and again, like you said, uh, it's better with a congregation, we have a congregational worship. We're required... Um, every Catholic is required to attend Mass, which is our, our service of worship, every Sunday. And at Mass, it's basically a, a representation uh, of bringing us mystically to the, the foot of the cross where Jesus died and, and participating in that, that saving gift of his, of his death and resurrection in a new way every single Sunday. And so what we do in, in Mass is we first, we, there's all sorts of 
little gestures and rituals that are there, which I won't go into all of them because you'll be like, okay, what's this and what's this? And there's a million different ones. But um, that, that have developed historically to remind us of various aspects of our faith. But the key parts of Mass is first we hear the scriptures read, and we hear parts from uh, the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, the New Testament, the Christian scriptures. And, and those are read to us to remind us of what God has done for us, that each passage in the scripture is a love letter from God to each one of us. And then we participate in what is called the Eucharist. When Jesus was here on earth, he offered himself as a sacrifice for us. And he gave that sacrifice to us in a way that we could continue to participate in that sacrifice for all time. And that was at his last supper before he died. He took bread and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body which is given for you. And then he took the, the cup of wine and he blessed it and gave it to his disciples and said, this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant which will be given up for you. And we participate in that same thing. So I, as the priest, celebrate uh, the, the, the sacrament of the Mass. And we believe truly that when the bread is broken and the, the wine is, when those words are said, uh, it truly becomes, uh, in a mystical way, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And our role as, as Catholics, in not just me as the priest, but everyone, the role of the Catholics is we, we kneel, we participate in various ways, we sing, we, we chant, we, we listen attentively. But most importantly, all those things are there, those external things are there, to enable us to lift our hearts to God, to offer our hearts to God. Um, to take all the sufferings that we have, all the joys that we have, every aspect of our life, and put it on top of that altar alongside the gifts that we offer in, in sacrifice, that we offer ourselves to him uh, together. There, um, though that's kind of the core of what we do. But we also have, I think there's all sorts of other little ways that um, we remember Christ, which we, we um, have little things that call us uh, to him. We often pray in chapels, although you can pray anywhere, but uh, the reason we pray in the chapel is that it, it brings us more quickly to the presence of Christ. It, you, know, you see the images on the wall, you see the crucifix, you see the, the tabernacle where we keep the consecrated bread and wine, and, um, and you, you, you're remembering, uh, you're able to focus more readily. That there's something special about this place that I'm going to this place in order, much like you face Mecca, it, it kind of draws us all together and unites us. Um, and, and so, I guess prayer is something that is, is in the same way. It's, it's both intimate and personal, but also something we do as a community, and we do in union with Christ in his sacrifice. And it changes us. It changes us uh, deeply in the heart. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll echo Tarif, my students know this, I love taking any kind of questions. My students ask lots of stupid questions, <laughs> which I'm delighted. Uh, so there's no question that, that isn't, uh, uh, that isn't, uh, isn't um, there. But first we're gonna, we have two um, of your peers to describe their own uh, life of faith. And so, um, uh, if you want to go first there. Hello everyone, my name is And I would say, you know, prayer has been a part of my life since day one. Right? I think it was like four or five years old when I started seeing my own prayers, like, you know, praying. And, you know, they were very religious. So whenever my, my dad would pray, he would, like, invite me to pray with him. And I would also go to a Muslim school, so where prayer was also part of the curriculum, right? So 
Praying was like a big thing in my beginning stages of like my life, right? But to be very honest with you guys, like prayer at first was it kind of was like a chore, right? It kind of felt like something that I was just doing just to like get over. Not that I didn't believe in the prayer, I just did like I didn't put any like effort into it, right? I didn't put any purpose. I just did it around my world. Like it kind of felt like a like an exercise that'd be like this and go down and like something like, you get over. But I believe probably around when I was like 15 or 16 years old, I you know started being more self-conscious about the world and like myself and you know going through puberty stuff like that and being stressed about things. I noticed that like I didn't have like a purpose, right? I didn't have a connection towards anything as a whole. And you know I talked to you know my Sunday teachers, imams like you know both of here, and I would ask them like, you know what what can I do? What can I do to feel like this? This empty void in my in my heart, right? And I was like, and they're like, oh, you know, just pray. And I'm like, well, I've been doing that. Like, no, just pray with a purpose, pray with a connection to connect with God, right? And I was like, you know, like you know what? I've been doing that, but let me put some more effort into it, right? So I believe it was like one day in early in the morning, like one of the closest of the good morning prayer. I prayed it, and you know, after praying, I felt you know relatively chill and much more calm, right? And I did the rest of my prayer just like that. And I felt much more relatively chill and calmer. And not to say that like, you know, all my issues and problems disappear and all my issues and problems like vanish, right? But I noticed that when praying and praying with the purpose and praying with like connection to like please God and to talk to him about my problems and my issues and to connect to him, things that were issues towards me or Things that affect like my mental state, my physical state, diminish greatly, right? Diminish greatly and diminish in such a big manner, right? I noticed that you know certain things that I was going through felt you know much more easier to overcome and much more you know, overall like the things that easier trip. So you know I I would say that the fact that I'm here right now talking to my guys, the fact that I, able to basically get to University of Maryland. I feel like if it wasn't for me having an actual God through prayer, I wouldn't be there right now. So, um, yeah, that's my story about prayer. Speaking directly to them. Never had that. Uh, <laughs> some people have very imaginative, like visually active prayer. Also never had that. Um, but one way that God does kind of speak to you, communicate with me, I guess is the better way to say, is um, through words and um, scripture, sometimes like a, a phrase in scripture or something that a priest says in a homily um, or something that a priest says in confession, in confession is a part where you get advice basically <laughs> on how to you know, live better, how to be more devoted to God. Um, there are things that I go home and I write them down, but even if I didn't write them down, I would never be able to forget them because that was, was God just speaking directly to my soul. Um, but anyway, one of the ways that helps me kind of focus when I'm sitting in the chapel praying is, is writing. Because um, otherwise I just lose my train of thought and then, and then I'm thinking about next week's test and that's not really why I'm sitting in the chapel. Um, so yeah, through writing things out and, and using scripture to pray and God communicates to me through those written words. Um.
and yeah, through all of all of those different experiences of therapy on my own, and, and the very experiences that my friends had. Like, the point of all of that is to be friends with Jesus. And I find sometimes like the the worst thing that I, I can do to myself, the worst thing any of us can do to ourselves, is to compare our different styles of prayer. And that's something that I get caught up in sometimes. Like, oh, I don't pray the same way this other person does. Like, am I, it, like, is any of this working? Am I doing it right? Ah! <laughs> um, and so, yeah, something, I, I just want to end with the Father Conrad analogy. That, you know, our prayer does, like, my prayer doesn't look like, it doesn't look like Becca's. It doesn't look like Marie's. It doesn't look like Father Conrad's. Um, and that our prayer is objectively bad. <laughs> we're, you know, we're asking for things that maybe we don't need, um, or that aren't good for us, um, even though we think that that's really what we need and really what will make us happy. Um, and it's objectively not that great. It's really distracted. And so some, uh, he's called <laughs> the macaroni art on construction paper. And like a four-year-old does that, and their parent goes, this is amazing, and I'm hanging it on the fridge. And like, that's what God does. And all he wants, like, no matter how inconsistent my prayer is, I mean, even if I, there, there are days when I don't, I don't find the time to get to the chapel. And sometimes my prayer is just, you know, I'm on a run, and I pray a rosary. Or I'm just meditating, like, wow, God, thanks for making squirrels. Like, this is great. <laughs> Some days that's my prayer. And even that, he delights in that and takes my crummy macaroni glued to construction paper and puts it on the refrigerator, proverbial refrigerator in heaven. And it's like, you did great, like you're talking to me, you want a relationship with me, that's enough. So, yeah. Um, that's something that really encourages me, and I think encourages you that um, he anything that we get, he works with that, and he's not outdone in, in general. So. so now I guess uh, we have time for, for questions. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> um, uh, feel free to ask ask any questions. Uh, I guess if anyone. Uh, Just as here, 
<laughs> you know, the, the plethora of dialects that, that, that are, you know, that we practice as a culture. Same thing with, with you know, in Arabic, but they're, you know, for those who might not know, actually the majority of Muslims are not even Arabic speaking. Um, Arabs are composed, or comprises around 15% only. Um, so the most populous, even uh, Muslim countries, in, you know, who know? Oh, I should have, should have asked. <laughs> who would know what's the most populous? Indonesia? Yes, Indonesia. Followed by Bangladesh. Um, so they're not even Arabic speaking, and yet, um, majority would know how to read the Quran in the Arabic language, memorize it as well. Like, there are millions. We actually have amongst us here students that memorize the Quran by heart. So, uh, and it's, it's, it's a common thing. So, and, 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 and one of the questions, of course, is how, how do you understand? Like, so, that part of the effort, right, is, is you know, most Muslims would know uh, the most fundamental kind of passages. And as you said beautifully, you know, it seems like at the end of the day, it's not about the technicalities. And that's uh, something amazing that I've heard today. That I feel like, wow, it spoke to me. And I really mean it. Because we, we, we kind of got lost in the technicalities and the law, but we lost the spirit. God is not about the number of letters you say or the language with which you speak. Just engage with his message. Bring your best and it's great to him, right? No matter what you look like, you, how you speak, and wow, this is really beautiful. And so that's what I would say about the same thing with the, with the language here. It shouldn't be a barrier, right? But there is a dominant kind of a dialect, although there are seven readings of it. Thank you. Or dialect. Thank you. Um, what are the two faith communities on the like, Sahara Desert? Like, well, like, what are the two faith views behind suffering and, like, purpose behind suffering? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> the deep one, though. Uh, you know, this is, a, like, I'm about, by the way, like, what is the main thing that, that, um, that is the, the kind of the anchor of atheism, question of suffering? So talk about um, something that we've seen. When we, when we deal with people, I'm sure Father Conrad you know, has tons of experience with this. Most people are thrown off. They're shaking because of that question. So at the end, it's like we say as Muslims, it's God's wisdom behind everything. And that indeed, the journey of life is a journey of struggle, right? And that through struggle, through the crack, we find the openings. That pain opens us up, right? And again, as you said beautifully, like we, we don't know what we ask for, like if it's best for us, right? We want to avoid pain, want pleasure. Well, God gave us both experiences and He ultimately defines even what is good and evil. But we have decided that, no, I know exactly what evil is, what suffering is, what God, I'm going to tell God, right? <laughs> Thus, you see the accusation, oh, God is unjust, God is not merciful, how can he allow this? And that, well, God knows how to bring the good out of even that pain. But then at the end, we believe as Muslims, we go through that struggle, and it's a journey through which we find the joy. But we go through the pain that brings us up, that is a catalyst for our growth, and we can only grow like that just as, uh, as we say, even it's in the Quran, that gold is purified through fire, right? So that process of burning us is essential for our maturing and growing. And then, you know, it's the same as in the Christian perspective. But then at the end, after we are returned back to God, it's really that the next life, the eternal life, is the realm of, of experiencing the full measure of fulfillment, bliss, away from all that suffering, which is also the physical and spiritual, you know, emotional and spiritual suffering on, on earth. 
Um, but that's, you know, that's in a nutshell uh, how, so we say, const, you know, whenever we even go through a trial or hardship, we're taught to say, the expression actually went over through, you know, over this last Tuesday, right? What was it? So this is, we're taught in the Quran that when you face hardship, you say to Allah we belong to God. And by the way, Allah is the name of um, God in Arabic language. And by the way, I grew up with Christian neighbors. <laughs> and no, literally, no joke, very diverse community where I grew up in the Middle East. I'm of Palestinian origin. I grew up in Kuwait. And my next, our next door neighbor were Lebanese Christians, uh, Catholic too. And I'll never forget that we grew up together with their children, so we, we, it was an incredible bond that we had together until the separation in the war, right, that happened in the Gulf War. We're too old, okay? Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you talking about? What where did it come from? Like, later, right? But, but so the, you know, if, what I'm trying to say is that they even use the word Allah, right? Even in the, in the Bible, like in Arabic, if it's with the translated Bible in Arabic language, you see the word Allah in it. Um, but we say to him we belong, to him we return to re remind us that it's a temporal journey of, of struggle, right? But at the end we go back and he reveals for us the full picture, his wisdom. That if we knew right now, we'd say, I'm happy with this trial, right? <laughs> it's the best thing that happened, <laughs> right? That, so, I'll leave it out. Yeah, I was going to so, say a very similar image, right? The, you know, if you're looking at a, at a painting very up close and you only see the dark spot. But when you look at it from further away, um, you see that the dark spot is there to bring out the light or to, to, to make the full And that's what um, uh, we, our vision is too limited. Our vision is too limited. But the, the thing that obviously that for us that's most important in suffering is that every suffering can be turned into a deeper act of love. And, and the emphasis is on that, that not just accepting the will of God, which we, which we do, um, but but entering into it actively, like that, like uh, you've talked about, you know, that, that we, we make, we, we enter into it out of love and for love and in order to, to grow in love. And, and, you know, when it's easy to love someone when they're giving you, uh, you know, lots of gifts like, like Legos or books or, you know, whatever, <laughs> and whatever people want, but, uh, um, but it's, it's much harder when uh, you're called to love in difficulty, but that's when you really prove your love, that's when your love is proved. And, the, in, the, in the old, you know, romances, the knight wants to destroy the dragon in order to rescue the princess. It's only when he's, he's conquered that thing that, that he's worthy of, of showing his love. And, uh, and so suffering becomes an opportunity for, for, for love uh, in order to go in that way. And, and I, honestly, this is, I'm so happy you asked the question. What's your name? Allison. Allison. Really, thank you so much. And I tell you, um, Oh, every generation, we need to real engage in deep reflection over the realness of this. Because we all struggle with this and it can shake us. And I tell you, we live in a culture where, hey, you're struggling, get out. Get out of, not just relationship with God, get out of your marriage. Get out of that friendship. Oh, pain, right? No, get out. Work, uh, millennials, for example, you guys are not in millennials, don't work. So, fire generation. Don't research on that one. Sadly, <laughs> for a long 
time, I tell you, they, they, people quit easily. They don't have struggle. So the, the presentation of the other options that can really give you the happiness, that notion of happiness, that is not even real. What is happiness, right? It's all temporal feelings, but again, a lot of people are addicted to this. They don't have struggle. And there's no growth without it. So the idea of hanging in there, understanding hiccups, you know what you're doing. And I always tell people an analogy, because I have two children, they're twins, talk about struggle. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so they're always challenging he has a parent of everything. But then, you know, you see beautifully gift of God. Parenthood teaches you so much. And where, where is she? Here. We were talking about when our children recognize the, the gift of, of a parent when they have a child. I tell you, the parent-child relationship teaches us so much clearly about God, right? Because you cannot explain to a four or five year old why they need to go to sleep at eight o'clock, right? <laughs> or why they need to go to school, take this medicine, why it's okay to hurt a little bit. Good luck, right? I tried that. I thought I could. <laughs> Failure, right? Good. And as they age, they become more mature. Isn't that interesting? So it's like, how in a way we can see God, right? Just asking us to submit, because otherwise, if He revealed everything, there's no purpose, there's no test anymore. If it's all shown to us, all of us will believe. All of us will be like, of course, this is amazing. But the test is to veil it. But also because we're, we're not capable of comprehending God's full wisdom, right? So I always, for me personally, I understood it really well when I thought of that notion of child parents. So this is for you again, I'm just really applaud you for the question. And I invite everyone to really think about how that connects to their lives because it's the key to growth or to actually falling, <laughs> falling and kind of losing ourselves over this one question. Oh, okay. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's Eric Hernandez. I'm so happy everyone's here. Um, the question I had was, when you were discussing the five prayers, how you wake up, with God and then go back to God. You know, we come from God and go to God. You know, from thus we come, thus we return. The imagery that came to my mind was that of reincarnation, in a way. So I was wondering if it's something like that, because that's every day, or is it more so we wake up thanks to God and we go back to sleep thanks to God? Yeah, I don't know if it's more one or the other, per se. So, so, again, just because I'm not heard the second part well, so we spoke of whether it's kind of symbolic of well, an act of reincarnation, or or, or whether we wake up thanks to God alone, and then we go back to sleep thanks to God alone, in a way of, He gave us the day to glorify Him, and to live the day throughout, and the next day, we do the same thing, living in the presence of our life. So it's, it's, you said it, it's like the question oh. even continued beautifully. No, I really mean it, but that's, it's beautiful, the answer. And you described it better than what I would describe it as, honestly. But it is what you just stated, that each day, each moment is a gift. Within it is the miraculous signs of God, because God doesn't leave us, right, without the knowledge, without the signs. That it's an amazing thing that the sun and the moon, and their movement, are themselves speaking on behalf of God. Wake up. Wake up, but don't forget, that your journey is going to end. And it's amazing to see that movement of the sun. And again, in the midst of our distraction, we even forget where we're headed and we take everything for granted. So it is to inject that, as you said, and presence and awareness that he's there. 
you're not alone, but that you're on a journey back and each day is a reminder because maybe the next day will be the one where you won't wake up, uh, where you go to sleep and there is no rising again. But interesting also in the Muslim prayer, that prayer itself is a microcosm of your journey because we stand symbolic of life then we kind of, what happens with aging, nobody's as old as me here. Understand? What happens with that? Oh. Let's keep it as our secret. So, but what happens? You know, you start arching. The back starts to kind of, and it's beautiful, by the way. Do you read? Because we look at older people like, ah, oh, I don't want to go there. I don't want to exit my youth. Well, it's going to end. <laughs> for sure. But it's an amazing thing. It's actually a journey of the body back to its source, dust. So that bending is like bringing you back because what are we but creatures of God? Then we become so arrogant, full of ourselves and our beauty. He owns that. He's going to take it. Because what's left is heart and soul. That's what matters. So we start to bend and we do that in the prayer. And then we go where we shrink completely in the posture of the prostration. But then we sit down because it's a representation of the, you know, the presence with God. You're talking to Him, which is also a reminder of the conversation in the next world, the ultimate reunion, right? But then what happens? So when we, when we as, as we rise from that prostration, we're literally, it's, it's, it's symbolic of that resurrection. So you died, you shrank, but then you rose again, so there is a continuation. So each day is a reminder of that. Each prayer in itself is a reminder of this, but it's, uh, it comes down to awareness, presence. Because we can be doing it, as Yassin said, some, you know, mechanically, and many of us struggled with this growing up, until it became real. And it's okay. It's in, you're in and out of things. It's tired, but bring it, right? Whatever it is, you know, it's good. It's, it's amazing, but talking to God for all of this. So, Thanks for the question and also the answer as well. <laughs> What's your favorite Bible verse? Favorite Bible verse? Um, oh, that's a hard question. Uh, um, uh, I there's a there's a verse in the Bible uh, that spoke very much to me, uh, and in which the Lord really spoke through it. And it's this verse where, after Jesus is risen from the dead, the uh, the apostles uh, don't believe him. And uh, two of them are walking uh, away from Jerusalem. They're afraid. They're afraid that you know their master's just been killed. Maybe they'll be next. They're running away. And Jesus appears to them, walking on the road besides them, but he doesn't reveal himself. To them. And uh, he's explained to them what happened, uh, and, and he's kind of kind of saying, he says, "Oh, you stupid and quote, slow to to understand," and and, and, and is kind of telling them like, you know, this is what's going on. And, uh, and then uh, they, their hearts start to change during that walk. Their hearts start to change. And they, they beg him to stay with, with them. They still don't know it's Jesus, but they beg him to stay with them and, uh, and, and have a meal with them. And so they do. And then in the meal, they recognize that it's Jesus. And then they say, and this is my favorite verse, did not our hearts burn within us as he spoke to us on the way? And that verse for me was um, when I, I had been running away from from the Lord's call myself. Uh, I had been running away uh, from what he wanted me to do, what his will for me was to do, which was to be a priest. I said, no, I want to get married. I want to um, have a career. I want to do these different things. 
And then, uh, then I opened my heart to him. And in that moment when I opened my heart and I said, fine, I, I think maybe, Lord, I can do this, then I just felt this incredible rush of grace. And I was so happy. And I was like, like you know that kind of like annoying happy? Like, like no one else wanted to hang around with me because I was like, oh, life is beautiful. And like, it was really weird. And I was like, this is not me. Like, and I was praying like all the time. And I was like, this is weird. And, and the whole thing that kept coming back to me was that line. Did not our hearts, it came out of nowhere. Did not our hearts burn within us as he spoke to us in a way. And I was experiencing my heart for no reason, you know, other than this, this reason, just burning with love within me. And I knew in that moment that I had to, I had to follow his call. And, and that is just, that, that, that it's been a, just a, a, a line that has kept coming back again and again and again. And experiencing the love of God deep in your heart, knowing that he loves you, knowing your worst things, knowing your, your, your greatest sins, knowing the moments where you betray him the most. And he decides to choose to die for you, to, to love you uh, in that moment. Like causes my heart just to burn, and 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 so that that's the one I just keep coming back to all the time. It's yeah, it's a beautiful. One. Um, that's a good question. That's a good question. Maybe we can do um, just uh, one or two more questions, and then we want to have some time just for you guys to talk amongst yourselves because uh, Teresa and I could talk all day, all night long, and uh, um, and uh, you know uh, that'd be great. But I have an early bedtime, so. <laughs> but, uh, um, uh, so we want to so maybe let's do maybe two more questions and then we'll we'll move on. So Josie, you want to go? Uh, I'm Josie. Thank you. Um, <laughs> um, uh, I was wondering what, what the Muslim view of the afterlife is. Uh, so <clears throat> just in summary, yeah, we, we as Muslims believe that um, this life is temporal. Um, and it's, and it's uh, transient, and it's, it has purpose. God created us, um, you know, with a singular purpose to worship Him, serve Him, so that we are, you know, we're, we're mindful of His, His, His presence, and, 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 and with the awareness that we're from Him, we come to Him, we return. So that ultimately in our journey, um, we're physically, we're going to depart from this world, die, and then to, to be initiated into an eternal existence. And perhaps a third of the Quran is is dedicated to describing the world. So it's not a gen, it's not like generically kind of defined in the Quran. It's very vivid description of the bliss of the next world, but also God's justice, right? So we, we always you know the, the the main quality of God that is emphasized in the Quran is his mercy, his compassion. In fact, we begin every activity, sip of water, food, conversation with Bismillah. In the name of God, the most compassionate, the most merciful, but that He is also infinitely just, and uh, that that those who have rebelled and, and really uh, not just it's not a matter of just straying away, no, no, rebelled and spread injustice, oppressed, um, have their you know they were God, um, um, but that it's also a time of experiencing His. Incredible, infinite mercy. Uh, that he, that the, 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 the mercies manifesting in this world are nothing but a tiny portion of his infinite mercy that will be manifesting in the next world to help us, you know, come under his shade and experience true bliss in his presence. But that, so his presence being with him, uh, you know, we experience those joys momentarily here and his incredible love in the heart that you spoke about beautifully, Father Conrad. 
of wow, we were in and out of that, but that there it's absolute experience of it, where we really recognize it was the ultimate thing. It was the ultimate pleasure. It's the ultimate bliss to to, and it's the ultimate ultimate experience that we yearn for, that we're born with now. But then the journey of life is a kind of a journey where we need to awaken to it. So it's the time, the, the hereafter is a place where we're in full awareness of God. Where we're not confused, we're not distracted by ego, anything else. But then there's also a paradise and a hellfire. Um, and, you know, they're also both vividly described in the Quran. Uh, but we leave it to God to decide. We're not the ones who say, oh, I'm going to end up here or here. No, no, but we believe in God's mercy. Because we know that no matter what flawed and weak and, and God's mercy is greater than our mistakes. Um, so, you know, paradise is in, you know, again, eternal. Um, and it's in the Quran, it's uh, this um, uh, incredible level of detail on the pleasures even of paradise. But again, uh, and they're spiritual or physical, although we believe as Muslims that these physical bodies are not meant to be there. They're you know, retreat back, they go back to earth, the dust from which we were composed, but that we're resurrected with new, like a, although the soul is the same, but physically we're equipped with new kind of um, entities that are designed for existence in the next world, uh, although our identities are the same. And, you know, that's in a nutshell uh, uh, what the belief of the Muslim is about the next world. So it's real, it's vivid, it's... Uh, and it's uh, it's something that we aspire to, we work towards, and that's the like the, even the prayer is supposed to remind us of our journey back. So uh, hopefully that answers the question. Thank you. One last question. Please. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hi. Uh, I would love to, uh, just one final uh, final thing. Yeah. <coughs> Uh, I think uh, Brother you just mentioned uh, about the soul, uh, and uh, actually in Islam, like it's really uh, important. We talk about the soul a lot, the management of the soul, the purification of the soul, the desires of the soul. Uh, so, could you share something uh, like the view of, uh, like the conception of the soul yeah. uh, in your view? Yeah, um, and I'll, I'll I'll start real quick with the story, and then uh, and then we'll go to there's a there's a. This is one of my favorite stories, so some of the Catholic students have heard it. But um, there is a, um, a, a, a woman in the 1940s. She was an academic. Her name was uh, Elizabeth Anscombe. And Elizabeth Anscombe was very Catholic. And um, she, was, uh, she had many children, uh, which was obviously against uh, the fashion uh, and still is against the fashion. People look at you crazy when you have lots of children. And um, one of her students, uh, when she was pregnant for the fourth or fifth time, one of her students wrote on the board, uh, Anscombe breeds, as if she was an animal, uh, just breeding. And she looked at it without missing a beat, and she said, immortal beings, she wrote underneath. This acknowledgment that as human beings, there is something deep, transcendental, mystical about us, a mystery which, which cannot be really fathomed or understood just in material ways. And that's, of course, uh, the soul, right? The soul is something that is... The, the spiritual property of our body um, that, that unifies our body, that unifies our existence, and, and it transcends our body. We can transcend ourselves. That's what, for those of you guys who are, who are computer science majors, right, the computer uh, algorithm, no matter how good it gets, will not be able to transcend itself. God forbid, you know. Um, uh, uh, 
we, we, we can transcend ourselves. We can reflect on ourselves. We can go deeper of ourselves. And our, our, our hearts, um, and I use heart in a, a figurative way there, our hearts uh, go beyond uh, this finite world and this material world. And that's why when we talk about suffering, when we talk about all these different things, uh, those things are there in order to lead us deeper into this relationship with God. But one of the things, the beautiful things that I love about our, our faith is we recognize, we have, the technical term is hylomorphism, but uh, it just means that, uh, <laughs> um, okay. Um, okay, so we have, um, we have some small groups, we'll read those out, but I just want to, again, thank you all for coming. I want to thank especially Tarif, Tarif, your, your, your enthusiasm and your heart, like really deep, heart, heartfelt, um, uh, presence is just incredible. I think my students would rather you be here than me. So uh, you know, we're so blessed to have you here, and I'm so grateful for you for you to, for your, your your sharing uh, your faith in such a genuine and beautiful way. Um, and uh, if you would close us in prayer, and then we'll um, we'll divide up into small groups. We have uh, discussion questions, and I'll point you where to go uh, so that you have a place to meet. And then we will have some snacks, and we'll end it from there. So. Oh God, uh, you are the most merciful, most compassionate, everlasting, source of all power, source of all grace. Oh God, we turn to you in this moment that you're witnessing, that you're permitted to happen, to cast upon us your light, oh God. Oh God, fill our hearts with your light. Ya Allah, oh Allah, oh God Almighty, we ask you that you surround us with your care. Bless this gathering. Ya Allah, oh God Almighty, fill our hearts with, with a sense of awareness of you. Make us recognize uh, who we are, that we're ultimately servants of you. Make us recognize that you're always there, that we're not alone. Allow us to exit out of this gathering, blessed by you. Uh, steered in your direction. We ask you, oh God, to look at us with a gaze of mercy and to put us under your shade of compassion. Bless us and make us walk with your light and allow us to shine your light upon all of those that we come across and to walk gently on this earth that when we return back to you, we are you know, most fulfilled and you know, looking back at this experience and recognizing that even this gathering was a gift of you. We thank you, O oh God, and we're grateful to you for everything that we know of and everything that we do not know of. Amen. Amen.